0: To destroy a culture, destroy their history.
1: One holiday that young people know the least about than any other is Independence Day. This
0: is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. One world globalists and educators hope Americans will forget about American Independence Day and forget about patriotism and start to think like a citizen of the world. Our
1: guest is Tom Dooley, author of One Nation Under God, America's Lost Dream.
0: The men that signed the Declaration of Independence they might as well have been signing their own death warrants because hanging was a punishment for turning against Great Britain. What were these men like who signed the Declaration of Independence, and what happened to them?
2: These were men of deep conviction. They were very brave. They risked everything. Five of those guys were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes sacked and looted and occupied by the enemy or even burned. Two of these guys lost their sons. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships or bullets. But the dream lived on.
1: These were men that did truly pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They really did.
0: But they considered liberty so much more important than security. They were willing to risk everything for this dream. Do you think that America today would go to war for this freedom that we have?
2: I don't know, Bob. That's a good question. I mean, it doesn't seem that we're aware that there are a whole bunch of people in this world that want to see America brought to her knees. We are a divided people. Only God can bring us together to become one nation under God, which is our desperate need of the hour.
0: But instead of calling this Independence Day, we should really call it Dependence Day because our founders pledged their dependence upon. Almighty God.
2: They sure did, Bob, and I think that's a great idea. We're always saying, God bless America, God bless America. And indeed, it's wonderful to have God's blessings, but I like to start seeing bumper stickers that said, America, bless God, because that's what we're missing.
0: As Jefferson said, a nation that is ignorant and free is a nation that never was and never will be. In fact, most citizens don't even know where the Declaration of Independence was signed. Do you know where it was signed, Tom?
2: (laughs) Philadelphia.
0: Oh, no, I was thinking at the bottom, the bottom of the document. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it
2: was at the bottom of the page. You're right about that. And most people don't know that we got the Declaration of Independence by just one vote, and that vote was from Caesar Rodney. He was home sick with a cancerous growth on his face, 80 miles from Philadelphia, and he was so sick and so exhausted, they actually had to take him down off of his horse and put him on a stretcher and bring him into the halls of Congress, where George Washington, asked him, you know, how he voted. And he said he voted for independence. And that's how we got our Declaration of Independence. It cost him his life because he soon died.
1: The founders were quite clear. And I like John Adams. He said, our Constitution was designed for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the governing of any other. And here's where the problem is. We aren't a moral and religious people anymore. I mean, look at the immorality that's just flagrant.
2: Well, that's true. I'm sad to say we have this new religion, and unfortunately it has become the predominant religion of our land. That's the religion of moral relativism.
0: Does God still have a divine plan for America? You know, when you consider what he's done in the past, it was rain that put out the British rockets before they hit Fort McHenry.
2: And What you're referring to there is a story of the Star-Spangled Banner. The British invaded the United States in two places, out of the north, out of Canada, and on the Atlantic seaboard. They captured this guy named Dr. William Beans and had him on a ship as they approached Baltimore, getting ready to attack Baltimore after they completely devastated Washington, D.C. And Dr. Beans was a friend of Francis Scott Key. In an incredible act of bravery and loyalty, Francis Scott Key borrowed a small rowboat and rode about three miles out to the flagship of the British fleet to try to negotiate Dr. Bean's release. And as they began to attack, they were firing this new technology, a cannonball that had an exploding bomb in it, and rockets' red glare. So when we were seeing the Star Spangled Banner, we would talk about the, the rockets' red glare, bombs bursting in air. What good are bombs that burst up in the air? That was because the wicks in these bombs had too much powder. The factory had made a mistake. And just when the attack started, God caused a rain, massive thunderstorm to come, and the rain was putting out the firebombs, rendering them of none effect on Fort McHenry, and we won the day. It was there that Francis Scott Key wrote... Our Star-Spangled Banner. It's just one of many of these wonderful, inspiring stories in our history.
1: It's so beautiful because Keys and Barnes anxiously waited for the first beans, sorry, Keys and Beans no, Key (laughs) (laughs) here we go, (laughs) I'm going now (laughs) this is a blooper Key and Beans anxiously waited for the first light of dawn and they were hoping to see the flag and they must have asked each other many times can you see the flag? And when daylight began to displace the darkness Francis Scott Key used a telescope to search the sky just above the fort and suddenly it appeared though tattered and torn the flag still flew in defiance the grueling bombardment. Isn't that something? Is our flag still there? I mean, it just like brings meaning to the Star Spangled Banner. And I love that story about George Washington.
2: Washington, he was on horseback. The Indian sharpshooters, and they were pretty good shots, they had been given specific instructions just to shoot the officers. And the plan really worked pretty well because 63 of the 86 officers were casualties. 63 out of 86 And after this battle was over, George Washington had four bullet holes in his jacket. There were four bullet holes, but he was totally unhurt. Years later, the amazing thing was when Washington was president, he met the Indian chief who was in charge in the battle. And the Indian chief told him they were trying to kill him but they saw that he was under the special guardianship of what they call the Great Spirit, and so they ceased fire. And this Indian chief came to the White House and he said, I come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven who can never die in battle. And, of course, that just tells us that God had a plan for Washington the same way that God has a plan for your life and my life. <laughs>
0: Tom Dooley, author of the beautiful pictorial book One Nation Under God, America's Lost Dream, has been telling us about the vital importance of our nation returning to the God of the Bible.
1: Our guest says that God had a purpose in establishing America. If that's true, is that plan and purpose still valid for today?
0: Peter Marshall was the author of The Light and the Glory and From Sea to Shining Sea. Peter Marshall, there was a survey done that asked U.S. teenagers about American history, and the results were shocking. More than one one fifth of American teens did not know what country the U.S. gained our independence from. It's-
3: Shows the utter failure of, certainly in public education, failing miserably. It's extremely serious, this crisis, and the importance of the crisis is revealed by a statement made by Karl Marx, the father of communism, when he said, take away the heritage of a people, and they are easily persuaded, which is a chilling truth. When that happens, we become rootless. We don't know who we are. We lose our identity. And that's what's been happening in this nation.
0: 68% of fourth graders chose Texas. California, or Illinois as one of the original 13 colonies.
3: That's ridiculous. What is going on in the classroom if these kids are not learning these things? And the real problem is, for the last three generations, we Americans have simply not been taught the truths about God's hand in our American past. We're missing the sense that this nation was conceived by God to be an example to the rest of the world.
0: How did the pastors convince the colonists to wage war on Britain? What scriptures did they use?
3: It wasn't a matter of our waging war. It was a matter of our defending ourselves against invasion. We didn't wage war on them. They waged war on us. We were simply defending our homes. Our people were simply, our ancestors were simply defending themselves. Our forefathers were not in rebellion. The war for independence and the declaration of independence was so totally centered in God. Galatians 5.1, which was the most often preached on text during the war for independence, during that whole period. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That understanding of freedom, being rooted in God's truth,
2: was absolutely central in the hearts of our patriot forefathers.
3: Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, December 19th, 1777. Rank upon rank of ill-clad men, shuffling silently past in the snow, most of them clad in what 10 or 12 months ago must have been a uniform, but is now only tatters and rags. Many of these men... Are in shirt sleeves in this blizzard. A lot of these men have no weapon at all. Some with burlap tied about their feet in a rather pathetic attempt to ward off the snow and ice. And almost beyond belief, many of these men are barefoot in the snow and ice. There's no conversation, because there's nothing to be said. Most of these men stare straight ahead as they pass on the edge of the wood, though some glance sideways at the man on the horse, but every man knows he is there, and for them, that is enough. The man on the horse, watching these men, we notice that he weeps. 11,000 men. What is left of the Continental Army of the United States of America? You see, there was nothing to eat at Valley Forge. There were no cattle to slaughter and eat. surrounding countryside had been scrounged clean by both armies. They couldn't kill and eat the horses. They were needed to haul the gun carriages when the war resumed in the following spring, so they killed and ate what dogs they could find. Then came a few squirrels, bark, some of the leather hinges from the cartridge boxes, some of the harnesses and bridles from the horses. Disease set in diphtheria, tuberculosis, fevers of various kinds, pneumonia, and they began to die. February, they were dying at the rate of 16 and 18 a day. And with the assistance of heaven and the valor of our worthy general, we shall soon drive these plunderers out of our land. You read that and you think, how in heaven's name could he say that when they're dying like flies 18 miles up in Valley Forge? Until you begin to think about what creates strength inside us human beings. The British were enjoying brandy by the warm firesides of Philadelphia, indulging themselves with all kinds of foods and enjoying the lovely young ladies of Philadelphia in gala fets and banquets on the weekends while 18 miles away our men were literally starving to death. And yet one does not even have to be a Christian believer to understand that when you and I indulge ourselves, give in to the demands of our flesh life, we do in fact grow weaker. And yet on the other hand, when we put the will of God first in our lives, And we live according to the impelling vision that he can give us if we truly want to do his will more than anything else in life. There's an inner strength that begins to be built into us. One does not even have to be a Christian to understand this. The United States Marine Corps has been built upon this principle, and it works. The Menit Valley Forge had a vision, a vision of a nation free. Not freedom in the modern American sense of that word. Not the freedom just to live obsessed with the pursuit of comfortable living. The dream of American freedom they had was not make all the money you can. Two cars in the garage, send the kids through college, it was a lot deeper than that. A vision that was so compelling they were willing to literally stay and lay down their lives at Valley Forge. Almost 3,000 men lie buried there in that sacred piece of American soil. What kind of freedom? Perhaps best summed up by President Andrew Jackson in his farewell address, said, Providence has showered on this favored land, blessings without number. May he who holds in his hands the destinies of nations make you worthy of the favors he has bestowed to guard and defend to the end of time the great charge he has committed to your keeping. That sums it up rather well. Their understanding of freedom was different from ours these days. They had a vision. President Woodrow Wilson forcefully declared, a nation which does not remember what it was yesterday does not know what it is today, nor what it is trying to do. We are trying to do a futile thing if we do not remember where we came from or what we have been about. Exactly right. The Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? First, we must recover the original American vision. And then secondly, we must put into practice God's formula for healing and restoration. Second Chronicles 7.14, oft quoted, seldom lived. It goes like this, if my people who are called by my name, that's the believers within the society, not the whole population, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves before we get humbled. And will pray and seek my face, which is more than just showing up in church on Sundays. And thirdly, most importantly, if they will turn from their wicked ways, then our God promises, listen, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It's not going to happen just through political power. We desperately need to be involved because this is a divine experiment in self-government which demands the involvement of every citizen, by definition. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. Unless there's a deeper repentance and a seeking out God's mercy and grace on the part of the American citizenry who believe in him, there's really no hope. That's the key. August 27, 1776, Brooklyn Heights, New York. The Continental Army is trapped beyond repair. The entire British Army across our front... Backed into a cul de sac, a semicircle, with our backs to the East River, there is no escape. But our forefathers had no remote human chance to win the war for independence. It was not physically possible. We were outgunned, outmanned, outsupplied, and outgeneraled, with the exception of Washington, Benedict Arnold, and a few other brilliant commanders. The British Army and Navy were the finest fighting force in the world, highly trained, highly skilled, highly disciplined, highly motivated. We never had a chance. 11,000 American troops up against over 21,000 crack British Army regulars. 5,000 of our men, five regiments, were raw recruits from the state of Connecticut, hastily assembled by Patriot Governor Jonathan Trumbull upon urgent plea from General Washington. They had not had one hour of drill. Absolutely raw. They fought like tigers, but it was hopeless from the start. Middle of the afternoon, August 27th, backed into this semicircle, trapped and surrounded. All the British had to do was mount one final charge, and it would have been all over. Washington, his staff, and the entire army would have had to surrender. After a fiercely fought battle, 1,500 of our men were down, dead or wounded. Another 1,500 taken prisoner. We had only 8,000 effectives. For some reason, nobody's ever explained. The British army never mounted the final charge. They backed off and did nothing. Disengaged, pulled back. Both armies posted sentries. Darkness fell. Still nothing happened. The next morning it began to rain. A cold, hard, pelting nor'easter it was, driven by a stiff northeast wind. The British fleet lay at anchor southwest down the East River two miles, waiting for the wind to shift so they could sail up the river and complete the encirclement. With the British men of war and their broadsides at the back of our army, we would have had no choice but to surrender. But there was a stiff northeast wind against them all day. They couldn't move. Washington called his staff together in the afternoon and said, I have a plan. We're going to evacuate the army back the way we've come. He meant back by small boat across the one mile to the tip of what is now Manhattan. His officers argued with him. They said it's impossible. It cannot be done. Better to sell our lives in the trenches and take as many of them with us as we can. He said, no. My mind is made up. You draw up the plans for the evacuation and as soon as you're ready we begin. Well, it took them several hours to get ready and the evacuation began under cover of the storm. Now, just by coincidence, of course, the last regiments for the battle were men from the north shore of Massachusetts Bay, minute men. They had been raised in small boats. They were expert oarsmen. Washington put them at the oars because they knew how to dip the oars in and out of the water without a sound. You see, that became critically important because two hours into the evacuation, the storm died down, the wind ceased, the moon came out on a hot, still, absolutely quiet August night. Sound travels extremely well over water. If the British Marines on board the ships two miles downriver had caught the sound of rowing, they would have launched the longboats and captured the whole army. But they never heard a thing all night. The real miracle, though, happened at dawn. What happened then is recorded in both armies' diaries, but Major Ben Talmadge on our side tells it best. Ben Talmadge wrote, as the eastern sky began to lighten from black to purple, streaks of red and orange, he said, just as the light began to rise, Every American eye was anxiously upon the eastern horizon. Why? Because several thousand troops were still left on the Brooklyn shore waiting evacuation. They knew as soon as it got light enough for the British to see, they would all be captured. Talmadge wrote, just as the light rose, a dense fog rose out of the earth. He said, I recall this peculiar intervention of divine providence perfectly well. He said, the fog hung like a blanket upon the area of the British lines, the American lines, the Brooklyn shore, and a corridor of fog across the East River to the tip of Manhattan. We tarried until late morning, he wrote, continuing the evacuation under cover of the fog gets even better at the very end. Talmadge tells us the fog rose at precisely the moment the last boatload of American soldiers left the Brooklyn shore. The British sentries saw what was happening, ran down to the shore to fire a couple of futile musket shots. After the last boatload, the rounds fell short because they were just out of range. 8,000 men got away scot-free. Two men were captured. They stayed behind to loot the baggage the army had to leave. They were taken, and rightfully so. The British wrote in their diaries, The hand of God is against us. The hand of God? I believe so. Here are some pieces of the evidence that America is a divine experiment in self-government. You see, when Madison said we've staked the whole of our political institutions on the capacity of mankind to govern themselves according to the Ten Commandments, do you know what that tells us? And this is where you come in. The restoration and healing which America so desperately needs can never come from the top down. You see, this is government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The healing and restoration of America will never come out of Washington, D.C. It can't. It has to come from the bottom up because we're supposed to be living proof that ordinary sinful people can govern themselves according to God's word. We have a representative government. The locus of power is in the hands of the ordinary citizenry. That's the whole point. We loan the power of government to our duly elected representatives. If they abuse it, we take it back and redistribute it carefully. That's what it's all about. Therefore, the only hope for this nation is a grassroots revival and renewal from the bottom up. And that is where we come in. That's the original founding vision. So you see, it's more than just political involvement. It's a recapturing of the original vision. And a recapturing of the relationships with God. Where our fathers heard him clearly about the call on America, the original vision given to Columbus, the pilgrims, the men at Valley Forge, the men in what we call Independence Hall in 1776. Sam Adams, while the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. But once they lose their virtue, they will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. If virtue and knowledge are diffused among the people, they will never be enslaved. This will be their great security. President Harry Truman. The basis of our Bill of Rights comes from the teachings we get from Exodus and St. Matthew, from Isaiah and St. Paul. If we don't have a proper fundamental background, we will finally end up with a government which does not believe in rights for anybody except the state. Thomas Jefferson said, Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we remove their only firm basis? That these liberties are the gift of God. Lincoln said the only assurance of our nation's safety is to lay our foundation in morality and religion. You see, the day the Declaration of Independence was voted, Sam Adams from Massachusetts, a fiery patriot, so much had he been a spokesman for independence, the British had begun to refer to it as Mr. Adams' War, holding him personally responsible. What Americans don't know about Sam Adams and the rest of our founding fathers is that he was a magnificent Christian. Sam Adams closed the day's proceedings after the most important vote ever taken on this continent by standing to his feet and speaking into that stunned silence these words, We have this day restored the sovereign capital s to whom alone men ought to be obedient he reigns in heaven and from the rising to the setting sun may his kingdom come that was no political rebellion they were looking for the coming of God's kingdom on these shores no George Washington was not a deist as a matter of fact almost none of the founding fathers were deists that's humanist lies that we've all swallowed George Washington was a towering prayer warrior Patrick Henry, author, of course, of the Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, and he was a true servant of Jesus Christ, a deeply spiritual man. In his will, Patrick Henry wrote out, This is all the inheritance I can give to my wife and my dear family, but the religion of Jesus Christ will give them an inheritance which will make them rich indeed. One of Patrick Henry's greatest statements was this, America was not founded by religionists, nor on any religion, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now how's that for a blunt statement from the founding fathers? Founded directly on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We Americans have entered into, whether we know it or not, and most of us don't know it anymore, we've entered into a national covenant with God. That God not only makes covenants with individuals, but he also makes covenants with nations. This nation has a call on it. We're not here by accident. We have something to prove to the rest of the world. Lincoln said America is called to hold out a beacon of hope to all men of all time to come. It's not crazy Christian idealism. It's doable because God does change the hearts of people. We're not here by accident. We're supposed to be living proof that any people can put these biblical principles to work because they're written by the Creator who understands every human being. That's what we're about. And it's not over yet, not by a long shot. We've got a long way to go. And lastly, America the Beautiful. Or so you used to be. Land of the pilgrims' pride, I hope they never see. Babies piled in dumpsters, abortion on demand. Sweet land of liberty, your house is on the sand. People wander aimlessly, poisoned by cocaine, choosing to indulge when God said to abstain. From sea to shining sea, our country turns away from the teaching of God's word and the need to always pray. Phony TV pastors telling lies about our rock, saying God is going broke so they can fleece the flock appointing godless judges who throw reason out the door, too soft to place the killer in his well-deserved tomb, but brave enough to kill the child before he leaves the womb. You think God is not angry that our land's a moral slum? How much evil will he watch before his kingdom comes? How are we to face our God from whom we cannot hide? What is left for us to do to stem this evil tide? If we who are called would humbly turn and pray if we would seek his holy face and leave our evil way, then God would hear from heaven and forgive us of our sin. He'd heal our sickly land and those who live within. But America the beautiful, if you don't, then you will see a sad but holy God
0: withdraw his hand from thee. Amen. Our guest has been Peter Marshall, historian, pastor, and author of The Light and the Glory and From Sea to Shining Sea. Peter wrote that at our founding as a nation, God had a plan for this nation. It wasn't our brilliance in warfare that won us our independence. It was God in the crucial battles God allowed our army to escape in a dense fog. And God protected General George Washington from being killed in battle after battle. It was God who brought this nation together.
1: If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1787, Standing Up for Liberty, Part 2. That's number 1787, Standing Up for Liberty, Part 2. The CD also includes last week's program, Part 1. You can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's IssuesInEducation.org and go to our website. There's a lot of good things on there and you can also hear our program. Give us a call at 928-776-0000. That's 928-776-0000. From Galatians 5, verse 1, It was for this freedom that Christ set us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. For Issues in Education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd.